In this episode, out with the old, in with the new. What's up? I'm your bro, Dr. Mario Escobedo, pastor and online Bible teacher. It wasn't all that long ago that I lacked the confidence, knowledge, and tools to feed my desire to dig deeper into God's Word. Fast forward past many lessons learned, mentors, and personal encounters with God, and you'll see the incredible privilege God has given me to teach the Bible to others. I'm convinced now more than ever that it's been God's Word that has led me to discover and fulfill the purpose God designed for me. I created the Christian Bro Code Podcast to help you on your journey to do the same. If you're a Christian bro who wants to grow as a disciple of Jesus so you can live, love, and lead in a way that honors God, you're in the right place. Let's get started, bro. Hey, what's up? It's your bro, Dr. Mario Escobedo. Thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of the Christian Bro Code Podcast. This is season number three, episode nine. And as you know by now, there is a new episode, the first and third Saturday of every single month, 7.30 in the morning, you can be sure, first and third Saturday of every month there is a new episode. And I do that because I know that you're probably like me, and Saturday is a day where you're doing stuff around the house or you're running around going to Home Depot or Lowe's or the, I don't know, the auto parts store, getting stuff, doing stuff at home. And I figure, hey, as you're doing all that stuff, it'd be great for you to have something to listen to so that you can grow And so that's why I put out these episodes on the first and third Saturday of every month. Speaking of growing, that really is the entire purpose of the Christian Bro Code podcast. It's a podcast that's meant to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus so that you can advance the mission that Jesus started. I am convinced that every single one of us who is a Christ follower, that we're disciples of Jesus, that we have a role to fulfill in advancing the mission that Jesus started And through the episodes that I'm producing on the podcast, what I'm trying to do is help you grow as I grow. You know, we're all all in this together. We're all growing. And so I want to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus so that you can fulfill your role in advancing the mission that Jesus started. So consider subscribing to the podcast. That way you always get the episodes as soon as they come out that you know that they're available and you can listen to them and grow as a disciple of Jesus and do your part in advancing the mission that Jesus started. All right, hey, let's jump right into today's teaching. And basically what I do on the Christian Bro Code podcast is a lot of Bible teaching. Uh, listen, that that's that's how I'm trained. That's how I was trained. I feel like that's what I do best. So I, you know, from time to time, I'll take a theme and I'll talk about something more thematic. But for the most part, what you're going to hear on the podcast is that I take a passage of Scripture and I break it down. Now, I, I don't necessarily go word by word or verse by verse, I look at the main idea, the big concept of the passage that I choose for each of the episodes, but I break it down, and then I look for ways for us to apply the truths in that passage to our lives as disciples of Jesus, again, so that we can grow and do what we need to do to advance the mission that Jesus started. And in this episode, again, this is season number three, episode number nine. In this episode, I'm looking at at a passage that is actually one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I've preached on it over the years several times because it's so appropriate in different moments, especially when we're talking about transition moments or change moments. 
And this episode is being released on September the 5th of 2020. We're, we're in the United States, at least, we're dealing with COVID. And, you know, I'd like to say that we're on the tail end of COVID, but I, I really don't know. I, I don't know where we are right now. As of the moment of this recording, I, I don't know where we are with COVID. We don't know if we're going to see a spike again in the fall, in the winter. I, you kids are going back to school. What is that going to do? We don't know. But what we do know is that things have changed. Ever since March of 2020, when all of this shut down and quarantine and COVID really went into full effect, things have changed. Things have just changed all over the place. And this type of change that's happening or that, that's been happening as a result of COVID is a change that nobody chose. In, in this case, change was imposed on us. We didn't choose this change, right? This change happened. This change chose us. And that's a different kind of change because when you, when you choose to change something in your life or even when a nation chooses to change something, well, there's a sense of control. We chose this, and so we'll, we'll accept the consequences of our changes and of our choices to change. But in this case, this change, we didn't choose it. It, it, it happened. It was imposed on us. And I want to talk about how we handle change as disciples of Jesus and what I think should be our attitude when change is thrust on us. And for this, I'm going to look at Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 14. I'm really going to focus on verses 18 and 19, but I'm going to start back up at verse 14. This is a very well-known passage. I think especially verse 19 is probably the most well-known passage of this, uh, or the most well-known portion or verse of this passage, because it's where God says, I'm doing a new thing. Don't you see it happening? And I think that's something that we talk about a lot during uh, new moments in our life, uh, New Year's Eve, going into a new year. We quote that scripture because it's a new thing, and we're looking forward to something new. But I want to give us a little bit of context. And in fact, as I'm going through this passage, I'm really, I'm really emphasizing a key principle for Bible study. And that principle is the principle of the literary context. And what that means is this, whenever you read a verse of Scripture, you have to read it in light of its literary context. When we talk about a verse and its literary context, for me, the most basic definition or explanation of what the literary context is, is that it's what comes before and after a verse. That's, that's the most basic description or explanation of, at least how I see it, of a verse's literary context. So when we read verse 19, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? Okay, that's a great verse. Gives a lot of hope. Makes us look forward to the future. But we can't read that verse just by itself, isolated from its context. What we want to do is read that verse in its context, in light of what comes before it, and that's where I'm going to focus most of the attention for this, for this episode, but also in light of what comes after it. Verses in the Bible do not exist in isolation from what comes around them. Verses in the Bible do not exist in a vacuum in and of themselves. They exist, and their true meaning really comes forth when you read them in the context in which they appear. So even though verse 19, Isaiah 43, 19, is a great, a fantastic, an encouraging verse, I really think that the power of this verse really shines 
and comes out when we understand this verse in its context. And so to do that, I'm going to back up to verse 14. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in the previous verses, but I do think that in looking at this verse in its context, this is this verse packs a very powerful punch. By itself, it's great. But read in light of its literary context, I'm telling you, it packs a punch. So let me back up. Isaiah 43, verse 14. And as we read these verses, I want you to bear in mind that this is a prophecy about the return of the people of Israel from Babylonian captivity. As you may know, as a result of their sin and as punishment, the people of Israel were sent into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Now, it probably wasn't exactly 70 years. 70 is used as a symbolic number to represent completion and a period of, of purity and purification and etc. But for 70 years, the people of Israel were in Babylonian captivity uh, under the, the, uh, the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, he's the one who took them into captivity. He was dead after those 70 years. But this is what this prophecy is referring to, to the time when God was going to bring the people of Israel out of Babylonian captivity and bring them back to the promised land. So this is how verse 14 reads. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians. Now, we're not, we're a little bit iffy on that verse because the Hebrew text is a little strange, a little difficult to interpret. So if you compare the English versions, you're going to see different renditions of verse 14. And then also this last phrase in verse 14 is also a little bit different from verse to verse in the ships in which they took pride. So the gist of that verse, even though the details are a little sketchy, the gist of that verse is God is saying, I'm going to bring my people back to the promised land out of captivity from Babylon. Okay. Then it says in verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. Verse 16, and this is, this is where I think the literary context becomes important for understanding verse 19. This is what the Lord says. This is what verse 16 says. This is what the Lord says. And before it actually quotes what the Lord says, there's a description of the Lord. So this is what the Lord says, and what the Lord actually says doesn't begin in ver- until verse 18, okay? So the remainder of verse 16 and verse 17 are a description, kind of the credentials, let's put it that way, the credentials of God. It says, this is what the Lord says, and then listen to, to verses, the, the remainder of 16 and verse 17, it's a description of God. This is how these verses describe God. He who made a way through the sea a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Now, that's a description of God. That's not what God said. It's just a description of the Lord before we get the quote of what God, or the prophecy of what God says, beginning in verse 18. But for a moment, I want to I wanna give a little bit of explanation of that description in verse 16, where it says, he made a way through the sea, a path through the waters, the chariots and the horses, they all came out, but they lie there uh, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Now, I think it's pretty plain, at least in my mind, that with those two verses, verses 16 and 17, what they're describing is the event at the Red Sea, when the people of Israel were 
wandering in the wilderness, they come to the dead to the Red Sea, not the Dead Sea. Sorry, if I said that earlier, I meant to say the Red Sea. And God opened up the waters of the Red Sea. He made a way through the sea. That's what verse 16 says, a path through the mighty waters. And the people of Israel crossed on dry land. And then verse 17 says, who drew out the chariots and horses, and they lay there never to rise again. That's a reference to when when the army of Pharaoh came after the people of Israel, God made the waters of the Red Sea come back together, and they drowned the army of Pharaoh. So verses 16 and 17 in providing a description of the Lord, they're describing him in terms of an event, in this case, the event of the Red Sea, what he did at the Red Sea. Now, why is that important? For me, as I, as I look at, at the different events in Israel's history, one of the most important events, if not the most important event in Israel's history, was that event at the Red Sea. For me, and I'm not the, I'm, you know, this isn't original to me, I'm not the first one to propose this, but it was there that the people of Israel actually became the people of God. It's there where they recognized that God was their God, that God was acting on their behalf. Yes, the plagues of Egypt and then coming out of Egypt were big, but I mean, this is huge, right? The Red Sea. And so you'll see in the remainder of Israel's history in a lot of the Psalms, how there are continual references back to the event of the Red Sea, because it was just such a crucial, such a monumental event in the history of the people of Israel. I would dare say, if it's not it's definitely one of the most important events in Israel's history, if not the most important event in Israel's history, because that's where they become the people of God. At least that's how I see it. And so that becomes really important because, look, we're talking about describing God based on an important event in Israel's history. And, and the people of Israel would have read that, they would have remembered that, they commemorated that event, and the people in Isaiah's time who are hearing this prophecy are saying, yeah, man, that, that's our God. He did that in the past. He, he helped our ancestors cross the Red Sea. He delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh and from his army. Wow, that was awesome. Remember, we've been, we've been told that event uh, over the generations, and my parents and grandparents, they've told me that over and over and how important that was. And so this was huge. This was huge. This event of the Red Sea was huge, monumental, important. And and I'm exaggerating, not, well, I'm not exaggerating the point, but I'm emphasizing the point because I want us to get just how important it was that the people of Israel would remember and commemorate the event of the Red Sea. Why? Because of what God says in verse 18, I remember verses 16 and 17 describe God, and they describe him in terms of the event of the crossing of the Red Sea. And then look at what verse 18 says, right after the description of the event at the Red Sea. Verse 18, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Now, here's where that principle that I talked to you about of the literary context is really important. Here's where you have to take into account what comes before a verse. Because if you read this verse just on its own, and it says, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past, and you you haven't taken time to read verses 16 and 17, verse 18 can be just a general, generic statement about forgetting the past. And typically when we read this verse, verse 18, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past, I would think that our minds go to the bad things in our past. 
forget the bad things you've done in the past. God is a God of grace. God is a God of forgiveness. God is a God of second chances, all of which is true. But when we read verse 18, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past, in light of verses 16 and 17, what God is saying, at least in this case, is not to forget the bad things of the past, but actually he's saying, forget the good things of the past. Wait a minute. Uh, that That's what? Yeah. Remember, verses 16 and 17 describe God in terms of the event of the crossing of the Red Sea. And then right after that, verse 18 says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. And, and although, yeah, that could refer to a whole bunch of things in Israel's history, for sure, I think the fact that it's, that, that it's placed right after verses 16 and 17 and that description of the event of crossing the Red Sea, I, I think it's meant specifically to address that event of the Red Sea, to say, forget that. Don't dwell on that anymore. Now, what, what was the problem that was taking place here? Here's how I see it. I think that in the time of Isaiah, or the people who are hearing this prophecy were looking back to the past, looking back to the event of the Red Sea, and thinking that was the height of God's power. Like, that was the maximum expression of God's power, and we'll never see anything like that ever again. It's wonderful. Man, our parents tell us this story about our, uh, about our, our forefathers, how they, how they experienced that and how God parted the waters of the Red Sea, and they would rehearse that in their memory and in their uh, religious activities. They would commemorate that event. They, they would look at that as the moment when God was just at his best. But I think this idea began to creep, creep into their minds that, wow, we'll, we're never going to see something like that again. Wouldn't it have been great to be there? I think we've all had those experiences, right? Maybe, maybe. Um, wouldn't it have been great to be at Michael Jordan's last basketball game? Wouldn't it have been great to be there when Babe Ruth hit uh, his first home run? Wouldn't it have been great? Whatever, right? Those those monumental moments in history that stand out for you that you say, wouldn't it have been great too? And I think the people of Israel had developed this attitude of nostalgia and saying, wouldn't it have been great to be there when God parted the waters of the Red Sea? Wouldn't it have been great? And they had elevated this moment, this I mean, not taking anything away from what God did at the Red Sea, but they were elevating this miraculous moment in Israel's history that happened generations prior to them and saying, it can never be that good. God will never do anything as good as what he did back then. And in light of that, this is where I think God says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Even if it's something as miraculous, as big, as monumental as the event at the Red Sea, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Now, God is not saying, don't be thankful for the past. God is not saying, forget the past and never celebrate what happened in the past. But what he's, selling, what he's saying is, don't dwell on that. Forget that stuff. If you think that what happened in the past is the maximum expression, the ultimate expression of my power, you need to let that go. You, you need to get rid of that way of thinking. You need to forget the former things. 
And God could have chosen any event to describe himself, but he chose, I mean, he went for the jugular. He went right to the heart of the matter. He went to the event that would have been the most important for the people of Israel. And he said, you know, you know that thing I did in the past that you guys celebrate and commemorate? Forget it. Now, this would have been, I think, mind-blowing and confusing for the people of Israel. Wait, what do you mean, forget that? And this is where then verse 19 comes in, where God says, look, I'm doing a new thing. It's springing up. It's coming up. Don't you see it? Don't you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Look, back then at the Exodus, I made a way through the, through the, through the river, or not through the river, through the Red Sea. Now I'm going to make a way through the wilderness. I'm going to provide streams in a wasteland. And so God is saying, what I did at the Red Sea wasn't a one-time event. That wasn't the ultimate expression of my power. Just as easily as I did that, I'm going to do it again in your situation and in your time. And so when we read verse 19 and God says, I'm doing something new, I think he's saying, look, I'm not just going to do what I did in the past. I'm doing something new. I'm, I'm doing something different that might even, I don't know, surpass what I did in the past. It might be bigger than what I did in the past. Whatever it is, I'm doing it now. And here's, here's what we need to understand, for, with, at least in regards to the people of Israel. The people of Israel were so busy looking to the past and what God had done in the past that they were turning a blind eye to what God wanted to do in the future. They were turning their backs to what God wanted to do in the future. They were so preoccupied and so worried about what God and so so fixated on what God had done in the past that they were forgetting that God wanted to do something in the future that he wanted to do something in there right now. And so I can almost see God like, I don't know, snapping his fingers and saying, hey, 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 wait a minute, wake up, everybody, wake up. You're too busy looking to what I did in the past that you're missing out on what I'm doing right now and what I want to do in the days, the years to come. So this, this becomes huge. Now we see this verse, verse 19. Because of the principle of the literary context, reading a verse in its context, what comes before, what comes after, I'm not going to go too deep into what comes after, but this illustrates the, the, the importance of this principle of the literary context. Because yeah, verse 19, beautiful, it's great, it's a beautiful verse, I, I love it, it's great, but it, it really takes on a whole new and much more powerful meaning when we read it in light of its literary context that God is saying, forget that stuff that I did, even the, the what you think is the ultimate expression of my power. Leave that in the past because I'm doing something new. And so long as you keep looking back to the past, you're going to miss out on what I'm doing now and what I want to do moving forward. Now, what does this mean for us as disciples of Jesus? Well, as I started off at the top of the episode saying, we're all in a moment of change. And this change has been thrust on us. <laughs> it's not something that any of us chose. And I would dare say that every single one of us has, has had to experience change in probably most every area in our life. I'm sure that the way you do work is different now. The way you have to be at work is different. 
the way you greet people. Uh, if you haven't uh, noticed by now, I'm I'm Hispanic, and so at my church, we're a Spanish-speaking congregation made up primarily of Mexicans. And so for us, prior to COVID, anytime you greet somebody, it's with the hug and even sometimes with a kiss on the cheek, or at least a fake kiss sometimes. Sometimes it's a real one. Sometimes it's just a, you make the sound, right? That's changed. I mean, no one's doing that. Now it's a fist bump or an elbow bump. That has completely changed. If you go to work, chances are, depending on where you work and what type of environment you work in, you're probably wearing a mask. That can be a bummer. The way you go to the store, that has changed. Let me, let me ask you this. How many times have you gotten off your car and you're walking into the store and as you get to the, to the door of the store, you say, ah, I forgot my mask. And so there you go, back to the car, get your mask. It's all crusty now. And you have to put it back in just to go inside the store. That's changed. Just, just going to the corner store, that's changed. The way your kids are doing school, that's changed. I have a daughter who's a junior in high school right now. And uh, she's about to start her, I think it's her third week of school This uh, in just a couple of days. It's been all online instruction, all online. The way she does lunch, that's changed. She's still eating lunch with her friends, but now it's through FaceTime. It's really strange. Everything has changed. The way we do church has changed. A lot of churches are shut down till the end of 2020, and they're doing only virtual church, online church. So the way you attend church, if you haven't gone back to your church, which, by the way, I encourage you to do, if you haven't gone back to your church, you're watching church in your living room instead of participating at the church. If you go to church, you wear a mask. Again, you don't greet people the way you—I mean, everything. I mean, I, we could, the list just goes on. Everything has changed. And again, we didn't choose this change. This change was thrust upon us. Now, I've noticed that there are some people, there are some different attitudes, there are different ways that people react to change, and especially this kind of change that we're in right now. The first type of attitude that I've noticed is that there are some people who are just waiting for things to go back to how they were before. I mean, that, that's what they want. They're just waiting for things to go back to exactly how they were before. Now, look, we all want this to be over. We all want this pandemia, this pandemia, that's how you say it in Spanish, pandemia. Uh, we all want this pandemic to be over. But there are some people who want it to be over so that things can go back to exactly how they were before. Uh, I, I just want this to be over because I just want everything to be exactly how it was before, exactly how it was before. Look, chances are things are not going to be exactly as they were before. And I think that that attitude of wanting to go back to how things were before I just don't think that's a good strategy. I don't think that's a good way, that's a good outlook. Because in my mind, that's a very passive way of looking at things. Meaning, you have to sit and wait and hope that things go back to how they were before. And you have the, the danger, in my mind at least, is that if that's your outlook, if that's your attitude, if that's the way you're approaching this situation, and just change in general perhaps, you're setting yourself up for a lot of frustration, and at an extreme, you may even be setting yourself up for some kind of depression because you have absolutely no control to take things back to how they were before. And if, if your attitude is, man, I just can't wait for things to go back to how they were before, that's a very passive attitude. All you can do is sit and wait and hope, and that's it. And I would, I would say 
that that isn't the attitude that God would want us to have as disciples of Jesus, that we're just looking to how things were before. Because like the people of Israel here in this passage that we've been looking at, Isaiah 43, 14 through 19, you're turning your back on what can be. You're turning on your back on what God can do in the future. If you're, if you're always just yearning for the past, then you're missing out on what God has to do right now and what he has to do in the future. And I'll tell you this, you will never experience what can be if you're always hanging on to what, what was. It's just not going to happen. If in your hands, you're, you're just, I mean, you're holding on for dear life to what was, you're never going to experience what can be. And I would think that verse 18 is God saying, don't want, don't wait for things to go back to how they were before. He says in verse 18, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. And I think verse 19 demonstrates the attitude that as disciples of Jesus, we should have. And I would dare say that the attitude that God expects us to has to have, because in verse 19, he says, look, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? Don't you see that in the middle of this pandemic, as bad as things are, I'm still doing something new? I think God might be snapping his fingers to us and saying, wake up, disciples, wake up, Christ followers, and look for the new opportunities that are springing up as a result of this situation. And here it is. I talked about the first kind of attitude, which is, I just hope things go back to exactly how they were before. And I would dare say that, I'm not saying that you're sinning, but I'm, I, I would think that that's not the attitude that God would expect or want for us as disciples of Jesus. Rather, I think the attitude that God would want us to exhibit as disciples of Jesus is this. What new opportunities is God opening up? I wonder what new things God is doing in the middle of, as a result of, after this situation. I wonder what God is up to. I can't wait to see the new things that God is going to do as a result of this situation. Now, I'm using the COVID uh, pandemic as, a, as an example, but apply this to any change that takes place in your life. Instead of grabbing on and holding on for dear life to the past and saying, I just want things never to change, and I just want things to go back to how they were, look forward instead and say, I wonder what new things God is opening up as a result of this situation. What is God going to do? What new things are going to happen? And look, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I've experienced this. You probably have too. I've experienced this in my personal life, and I've experienced this in our church life as, as a pastor. I'm a pastor of a Spanish-speaking congregation, and I've experienced this in our church life as well, that there are times that God begins to lay out a plan for you. And, and just for the sake of argument, let's say that there are 10 phases, I'm just going to call them that, 10 phases to God's plan for your life or for your church or for a season in your life. And I've noticed that there are times when, when God lays out something, a new direction for me or for our church, that he'll, he'll show us phase one, two, and three. And I think that's the end of it, right? I, I, that's, all, that's as far as I can see. I can only see step or phase one, two, and three. And I say, okay, wow, as soon as we're done with phase three, we're done, right? That's it. That's what God wanted for us. But little do I know that there's an eight, nine, and 10. And God doesn't show me eight, nine, and 10 quite yet. 
All he wants me to worry about is one, two, and three. And if, if I can be faithful and obedient in doing one, two, and three, then I know that God is going to show me four, five, and six, and then eventually eight, nine, and 10. But maybe at this point in my life or in this, this new season that God has for me, it's just not time for me to know steps eight, nine, and 10. Maybe I can't handle it. Maybe I'm not at the point where I can see eight, nine, and 10. All I need to worry about is one, two, and three. And so I'm wondering right now, maybe as a, as a church, as a whole, maybe we're in steps one, two, and three that God is saying, look, guys, I'm doing something new. And by the way, I'm not saying God caused the COVID pandemic. I'm just saying that God can work through it. It didn't catch him by surprise, that's for sure. But he, he, if, if he did or did not cause it, that's not for me to determine, but he can work through it. And maybe he's saying, okay, guys, as a result of this, I'm doing something new. And for now, all I need you to worry about is steps one, two, and three. You know, every church across America is having to redo church, is having to rethink church, is having to reinvent church. Isn't that a good thing? I mean, isn't that fantastic? Churches that were never online before are now online. You can attend 15 different church services in one Sunday from the comfort of your home. People who don't accustom going to church are probably seeing all kinds of church services on their Facebook wall. People are sharing. People are are are, are inviting them. That that's happening. Maybe those are I don't know. Maybe those are steps one, two, and three in the new thing that God is doing. And if as a church and as a disciples as Jesus of Jesus, if we're faithful in that, then I think God is going to tell us, okay, that was just phase one. Let's move on to steps four, five, and six because I'm doing something new. Now that's exciting to think. I would much rather be thinking that way than just yearning and hoping for things to go back to exactly how they were before. No, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing. And I, for one, bro, I, for one, I do not want to be left out of the new thing that God is doing. I, for one, don't want God to have to snap his fingers at me and say, hey, Mario, hey, 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 turn around. You're looking at the past. Turn around and look at what I'm doing now and look at where I'm taking you. I would much rather be in that situation than just sitting around passively waiting and hoping for things to go back to how they were before. I just don't see God wanting that for us as his disciples. So we as disciples— Christian bros in the 21st century who want to grow as disciples of Jesus, who want to be part of advancing the mission that Jesus started. We want to fulfill our role in advancing the mission that Jesus started. Here is something that is so key. We're learning a lot of principles, a lot of things during this pandemic, this era, this this season of a pandemic. Let's look forward to the new things that God has. Let's not miss out on the new things God has. Let's look forward to what God is doing. Let's anticipate what God is doing. Let's be right in the flow of the new things that God is wanting to do. Let's not be left behind. Let's not be caught looking towards the the past and just hoping and yearning for things to go back to how they were before. No, let's change that attitude and let's say, wow, what new opportunities is God cooking up? What are the new things God is working on? What's the new thing God is working on in in my personal life, in my family, in my church, in the church around the world? What's the new thing 
God is doing? What is he preparing us for? What are we getting ready for? What is he wanting us to see that he's doing? I, I mean, I just think that's a much more biblical outlook, attitude, and reaction on this situation that we're going through right now. So let me encourage you. I want to encourage you, Christian bro. I, You know, every family has to make a decision as to when is it right, when is it the right time to go back to church. But I would encourage you, get back to church as soon as you can. Be wise about it. I know that there are some who have newborns at home. I know that there are some who uh, are either in a high-risk category or you're around people who are in a high-risk category. I get that. I get it. I get it. Be wise, right? But get back to church as soon as you can. You need to be around members of the body of Christ, but you, I think you also need to be there right in the middle of where God is wanting to do something new. Now, can you experience the, the new things not being in church? Of course you can, but there's something to be said for gathering, for being at your church, for hearing your pastor's heart, for hearing your pastor's vision, for the new thing that God is doing in your local congregation, in your church. Get back to church as soon as you can. Again, take all the wise measures and precautions, make the decision that is right and that is wise for your family, but I'd say get back to church as soon as you can. You're going to the store. Your kids are going to be going to school soon, some of them. You're, you're, you're going to work. Why not go to church? Th- th- that's how I see it. Chances are your church is practicing social distancing. We are. Chances are your church is asking you to wear a mask. We are. So, you know, get back to church. Try to get back to church. Be wise about it. Yeah. But get back to church. Why? Because God is doing something new. Because God is unleashing something new. I, for one, want to be a part of it. And I'm sure you do too. I don't want to be looking back to the past only. I want to be looking forward to the new things that God is cooking up. And it's exciting. Let me tell you, in the middle of all this, one of the big reasons that we as believers, as disciples of Jesus, don't have to hang on to and yearn for the past is that we know that throughout all of this time, God has been in control. He's been in control. This has not taken him by surprise. This didn't get out of out of his hands. He's not up there in heaven saying, oh my God, what do I do now? What do I do now? No, no. God has always been in control. And because God has been in control, we can with confidence look forward to the future and know that something new is coming and that our God is behind it all. All right, bro. That's what I wanted to share with you today. My prayer is that this teaching and learning about the literary context, that very crucial, very important principle of Bible study, has helped you to grow as a disciple of Jesus so that you can fulfill your role in advancing the mission that Jesus started. Hey, again, if you haven't done so, please subscribe to the podcast, give it a like, share it, comment, all that stuff that we ask you to do on podcasts, on Facebook, on YouTube, all those things. Just go ahead and do it so that other bros can also have the benefit of these teachings and of growing as disciples of Jesus so that they can also advance the mission that Jesus started. Well, we'll be back soon, first and third Saturday of every month. New episode, 7.30 in the morning. And I'll see you then. Until then, bro, God bless.